Hi Connor, how are you? Hi fellas, great to be here. Thanks for thanks for inviting me, uh, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, look, it's great to have you on the podcast. Like you know, you're really big name to get on. So, um, first off, I'd just like to ask you. You know, you've a huge connection, obviously, to Cork hurling, being related to the great Christie ring, and both yourself and your brother Don Logue playing for the county. Was that something you always aspired to do as a young fellow growing up? Was that you know, did you always want to represent your county? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I suppose I I would have been surrounded by hurling in my family. Um, my dad there was thirteen in his family, and uh, of the eleven kids, all the all the lads played played hurling with Klein. Um, my dad would have played minor and on twenty one with Cork, and and then in my family, in my mum's family, and there would have been sixteen in that family, and fourteen of the kids, the seven boys and seven girls, all played with. With Klein as well. In fact, my mum and her six sisters would uh, were all in the last Camogie winning team with Klein, and uh, and three of those sisters would have went down and played with Cork and won All Irelands with Cork. Uh, Kathleen Bernadette and probably the most famous of them, Marie, um, who would have captained them and been on the team of the Millennium and the Century. So, so certainly, hurling was something that that uh, that surrounded me as a young person. My parents housed back down to the Klein hurling field, so that's where I would have spent most of my time uh, as a young person. Um, don't know, do the Mini 7s still exist? Um, but I would have, uh, back then, it was where they would have selected uh, the best hurlers in the country to play at halftime in the All-Ireland Finals. So actually the first jersey that I wore in Core Park was a Kikini jersey because it was Kikini and Tipperary playing in the All-Ireland Final that year in 1991. Um, so, so early doors, um, it would certainly have been uh, an aspiration of mine to want to play with Cork, but but that time the motivation for me at that young age was more about getting um, affirmation and praise from the important adults in my life than, than actually enjoying the game for the game's sake. And and that planned in got uh, got interrupted when I got unwell uh, during my teens. And the amazing thing for me was that you know when I went through therapy that time. Um, when I was struggling with with anxiety and depression, um, and came to realise how much my sense of self was was tied up with how well I was doing in school, or or how well I was doing in sport, um, and that when I when I began that kind of inner journey, and it's difficult to put proper words on on what that experience was and the work I would have been doing that time, both in therapy and on myself, um, but when I began that inner journey of seeing myself from the inside out rather than the outside in. Like, like it's an amazing thing when you come to the world from a strong sense of your own worth and value of a, as a human being, that it's independent of external things to yourself. Um, when you can do that, you know, the world no longer feels like a, like a test to be passed, but, but more like a playground to be explored. And I don't live there all the time. I'd love if I did, but I'd certainly have a stronger sense of it now than I had when I was um, when I was a younger person and and so I can remember when I when I started to return to training that time when I was emerging back out of my depression I suppose uh, I remember writing down three things in an envelope and I sealed it and I never showed it to anybody because at the time I was seriously overweight um, uh, and very unfit and obviously just getting back into the world really I suppose but I said that uh, I wanted to I wanted to play senior hurling with Klein. I wanted to play senior hurling with Cork. And the third and the most important thing for me was that if I achieved any of those things, 
that I didn't feel that they added one jot to my worth and value as a human being. And, and thankfully, by the time I got to play with Tyne and, and for the brief period that I was involved with Cork, um, the main motivation I had at that time was was the, the wonderful challenge that comes with playing hurling. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a long way of answering your question, perhaps. So you mentioned there, you know, about trying to get kind of affirmation from adults in your life. But like, how severe was that pressure to make County like or to, like, you know, be a hurdler? Like, was there a lot of pressure around that? Yeah, I suppose the, 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 the truth being said, there was in the sense of I would have showed from an early age, I suppose, a promise when it came to playing hurling. And, and would have been progressing along in relation to uh, to, to, to making, playing in the mini sevens in Crow Park and making local divisional teams and all the rest. Um, but, but, but I would definitely back then had, have, have had a seriously unhealthy addiction to hurling um, and where a huge amount of, of, of my identity and sense of t- self was tied up with it, with my sport. And that would have brought added pressure outside of the normal pressures that go with playing hurling in Klein um, and, and playing hurling in generally. And, and you know, when, when I came back to the sport um, with that renewed sense of myself uh, as a person and as a human being and my place in the world, it wasn't that I trained any less. I actually trained more than I ever had before. I practiced more than I ever had before. I got myself incredibly like, super, super fit. Um, fitter than I ever had been before. Um, and it's not that there wasn't pressure there. You know, when you play hurling with Klein or, for, as I say, with Cork for the brief period that I was there, you know, it brings certain demands and pressure pressures. It goes with the territory. Um, but for me, when my identity wasn't wrapped up purely in the sport, then I was able to better manage those, uh, those big demands and intense pressures. Uh, so, Connor, you wouldn't say you had the pressure of Dunlog uh, had when he was a young boy when Paddy Joe Ring would say that he would mind going for Cork one day. Uh, yeah, look, I think uh, I think everybody uh, I think does I think everybody responds to the the situations. Uh, people can experience can have the same types of or be exposed to the same types of experiences, David. Um, but everybody responds differently to them. Um, and while everything was going well in my life, uh, I was I was able to deal and manage those those pressures well. But obviously, then when when I started to experience the the panic attacks and and depression in my teens, uh, then those added pressures of playing GA um, they were just too demanding for me at the time. Um, uh, so that was my story. Don Log obviously has his own story, and and he was he was able to manage and and deal with. With the intense pressure of, I suppose, being a goalkeeper, and um, it brings brings added challenges to, to to what you might experience further out the field. Um, but I think uh, when you look back in his career, he, he dealt really well with those uh, with those challenges and things that came as well. And um, would you um, have felt the pressure to um, become as good as him when you were? Um, playing with Klein in the senior county finals. I think there was no point in me uh, ever trying to to try and uh, to try and be as uh, talented as as Dunlog was at hurling. Um, he uh, there was there was no point in me in me uh, 
comparing or, or trying to achieve that. What what I would have learned most from him is 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 the that to, to play hurling and to play hurling well demanded a, a certain level of discipline, a level of time management, demanded a love of the sport and a willingness to to train and practice and and get the maximum out of yourself uh, uh, as a person. And and I suppose thankfully, definitely when I was younger. But as I say, when I when I embarked embarked on that inner journey, um, where I was coming to appreciate myself just for being me and being that unique presence in the world. Um, then I wasn't comparing myself to, to anybody else in terms of how I was applying myself to the game uh, or what I was achieving in it. I was comparing myself to myself uh, and how could I develop and improve uh, from day to day and week to week. And that's where the, the comparison was then. On a personal level, I've had great admiration for uh, your relative Chris Ring. Do you believe his influence was a motivating factor for your club client and your county cork? Yeah, you know, I think you couldn't but be inspired by the story of Christy Ring. I, I'm finished playing now, David, with four years. And, and to be honest, in those four years, I never missed it because the last few years of my hurling career, um, I was playing with a lot of injuries and, and, and through a lot of pain, to be honest. Um, so those last couple of years were really difficult. And and when the, when the doctors told me it was time to finish playing, um, there was nearly a relief, to be honest, because uh, because of those injuries and that physical pain. Um, but I found myself after watching the latest documentary um, of Christy Ring, you know, for the first time in those four years, uh, I found myself saying, geez, I'd love to be a client player again. Love to be experiencing the joy of training and the joy of practicing and developing your own skills and athletic ability and, and really getting the maximum out of yourself uh, as a player and serving your club and community well and getting the, the opportunity again to experience the, the highs and the lows and, 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 and all of the, the, the good things that come with playing the GA. Um, so, so yeah, I think, uh, I think you couldn't, uh, you couldn't be inspired, but be inspired by the story of Christy Ring. <coughs> Apologies, Dan, for coughing. Um, but one of the interesting things, David, actually is, is, um, is when I think back of the, the stories of my grandmother who would have been a first cousin of Christie's and my father and, and all of those people that would have been around the time of Christie Ring. Um, when I think back of the stories that they used to tell us as, as kids and all the rest, um, they, 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 they spoke more about how he used to practice and train both with the team and on his own and how he used to compete. And they spoke about that far more than anything that he won. And I think that's really inspiring for anybody because, you know, winning and losing and a lot of that is out of your control. But practicing and training and competing, they're all well within an individual's own control. And, and, and it's amazing to think really that a lad from Klein and Cork, you know, went on to become one of the greatest sportsmen that the world has ever known. So I think you couldn't but be inspired by that. I'm going to have to pause for one second. My battery is actually going dead and I need to go and get my... Uh, I need to go and get my lead. I presume this is something that you can edit. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. if you can, apologies for that. No, I work as a project manager and part of my job is planning and preparing and making sure things go smoothly. But obviously <laughs> I, haven't, uh, I haven't worked on this one too well. So if you can just give me two minutes, I'm just going to go back to my office. Uh, it's a shared office where there's other people who grab the charger and come back down to this private office. Yeah, so okay. two minutes. No Cheers, fellas. Cheers. Going
Jesus, apparently. That's... Mm. <laughs> that was good so far. Yeah, I threw in a few yeah. questions. I'd have, I'd have a bit of a obsession with Klein and Christy Ring. It's a bit weird. <laughs> I, was, I was actually kissing it. Yeah, I thought I was. I didn't know whether that was Dave's question or not, and I was like, "Oh mm. my god!" Oh, yeah. I was following it, going not. like, "Where are we? Have I totally lost track?" <laughs> yes, yeah, I, no, so I, I, I seen Dave, and he he was kind of like smiling to himself, so I knew he had something up his sleeve. Yeah, I yeah. myself. Okay, well, keep going anyway. You're doing brilliant. So, Quentin, you're next, are you? Yeah. Yeah. So we laid yeah, it. Obviously, I this know. is recording, so we have dated all of this. <laughs> yeah. Miss, you can pause it if you want. Hi, future Ryan. There's, there's a pause button. Yeah, yeah, he actually. Sorry, Ryan. We love you. Okay. Yeah, I won't even bother. Oh, yeah, Ryan. When we were when me and Seamus were editing the or recording the intro and outro for the last one, we kept on messing up, and we were always like, "Oh, sorry yeah. about this point. We love you, Ryan." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sent me a video of him editing it then. Oh yeah. Okay, go on. I'm gonna go off there again. I'm sure he'll be back in a minute. But Quentin, you're next, anyway. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Did he leave? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually leaving. Make sure you come back in. I'd say he's back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, in other news, guess who just texted me? Garud Hegarty. No way. Serious. Yeah, because we're just like this. You're back at your muted. Sorry, you're muted there, Connor. Apologies, uh, apologies for that. As I say, no, uh, bother. Not at all. I, uh, no bother. Uh, I'll, I'll back off there now and leave you to it. I work as a projects manager, and uh, the person who reports on would be impressed uh, with uh, doing that. But anyhow, okay. All part of it, lads. All part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, Connor, we were talking to Liam Cattle lately, and he stressed the point about how water we're going to push on and hopefully do better this season. How do you fancy Cork's chances against very strong Limerick and Waterford sides this season, not only in Munster, but also the All-Ireland Championship? So, unlike my brother, I don't get paid for uh, giving my opinions on, 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 on the GA. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't, to be honest, I've been away from the game for a few years. I've, uh, I've returned to, to getting involved with the client scene of management this year, and it's my first involvement back in the GA in, in a couple of years. Um, so I'm not too sure would I, would I feel any way qualified to to say what they need to do or how they are going to do. Um, but what I do know from seeing the the people that have gotten back involved in GA and having played with and against them, it seems like that there's a fierce enthusiasm and energy to try and get Cork back to being really competitive again. Uh, and with those fellas involved, I think for the, the players that will be involved with those people, uh, they'll ensure that the optimum environment is created to allow those players to flourish and to be able to to be the best that they can be. Uh, so I think that's really exciting. That's really exciting for Cork, I think. We have had Limerick and Kenny. 
We have had uh, Limerick and Kelly greats over the last few months on the podcasts, such as Graham Mulcahy and Richie Power. They believe the biggest change in hurling nowadays is the physicality and the level of fitness the players have a need to make a county team. What advice would you give to any young hurler now who wishes to play for their county? And do you feel the selection process since you were playing has uh, changed? So when you say the selection process, Quinton, what do you mean exactly by... Yeah, so like, do you think like the requirements of making county now has changed since your time and nowadays? Yeah, so I, I, I think with the, with the level of athletic capacity that players are operating at now, I think the days of, of a player coming straight from the club scene and being able to transition up quickly into playing into county hurling. Um, I think those days may be behind us for the majority of players. Um, I, I think now it seems very much that that there's a period of time between a player moving from, from underage hurling and minor hurling. Um, there seems to be a period where, where he needs to develop from both a physical and a technical point of view um, over a period of time. Um, before he's able to transition up into into playing that senior into county hurling, so I think that's definitely a, a big change that would have been there for my time, where there was a there was very often the case where some player that was playing really well in the club championship, and um, maybe drafted into the Cox squad, and and before you know it, he might have been playing in 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 a Munster final or or an All Ireland semi final. I'm not too sure will those days uh, are those days going to happen again with the very very odd player. I would say very much it's going to be that they'll have to spend that period of physically and technically developing uh, between minor level and transitioning up into the first team. Then, um, in relation to advice, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not great into giving advice to, to others, um, because what I most need to do is follow my own advice for myself, and I'm not always great at that, to be honest. Um, but what I would say is don't confuse who you are as a human being with your sport. Um, because very often people make that error and it can lead to them not getting the best out of themselves as a sportsman or maximizing their enjoyment in playing sport. And, and I often say this, you know, I've been lucky and fortunate to travel the world with both work and, and with speaking in the area of emotional health. And it always amazes me, Quinton, that no matter where I go in the world, I never seem the same person twice. You know, that, 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 that there's seven and a half billion, I think, at the moment. I don't know how many billions have been before us, and there'll be a lot of billions of people come after us. But the amazing thing is that there'll never again be another Quentin Joyce in the world. You know, you're this once-off, unique happening that will never again reoccur. And, and I read a small bit about quantum physics, and you maybe study it now a lot more than what I did in school, but I find it a fascinating subject and I, I can follow about 5% of it. But all the quantum physics shows is that, that, that as human beings, the, the oxygen that we breathe and the, the carbon in our, in our muscles and the calcium in our bones and the iron in our blood, that they belong to, to once vanquished stars that exploded. So literally, as human beings, we're made of this star stuff. And I used to do a lot of stuff with Brizzy there. Uh, and he used to be on a program one time, I think, called You're a Star. And I used to say to him, yeah, you're a star, but I'm a star too. And we're all stars. And the difficulty for us as human beings is that when we, when we stop living our own lives, 
we we cloud over that radiance that exists within us as human beings. And when we confuse who we are as people with things that we engage in and 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 tasks and activities that we that we take on as adults, whether that's playing sport or whether it's in our work or whatever that might be, when when we confuse who we are with what we do, um, then I think it puts it it puts a cloud over our radiance as human beings. Um, so the best advice I would give to any young person embarking on a sporting career to play with their club or their county is is don't confuse who you are with your sport. And uh, that pressure can be very difficult to players to keep up with the um, training and the physical side of the game. Um, do you have any advice for young people who would be training a lot and feeling pressure and say wouldn't be making a, like a, say a Cork minor panel or a Cork 21 panel? Um, would you have any advice for their uh, mental health when say they don't make a, one of those panels? So that's an interesting question, and I think it's important, David, to to understand that you know to do interesting things in life, it's going to result in you feeling pressure, it's going to result in you feeling stress, and that there's healthy levels of those, um, and it's also going to mean that you that you encounter failure, and and I think it's important that we begin to embrace failure as as human beings because. One of the challenges for younger people now is that maybe with social media and all the likes, you maybe see the end point um, of people's performances. And what you don't get the opportunity to see is the myriad of failures that they would have experienced before they get to that place of being able to perform. And I can just relate it to the GA where having played, been very fortunate to play with a, a super client team, group of lads that were really committed and disciplined and determined. Um, and then fortunate for a brief period of time to play with an outstanding cock team. Um, but what I would have seen regularly is those people failing regularly um, in training, in matches, where they were constantly pushing themselves inside their comfort zones. And by doing that, it meant that they encountered failure regularly. But they embraced that failure and drove on. Uh, and what you saw, the result of that then was the performances that they were giving uh, in the sporting fields all around Ireland. Um, so the one of the greatest addictions in the world, it's not to alcohol, it's not to drugs, it's not to success or all the other traditional addictions that they speak about, but one of the greatest addictions as human beings is to being concerned about what other people think of you. Um, your sense of worth and value being dependent on how others think of you and, and you seeing yourself through their eyes rather than through your own. And, and living that way, turns your life from fearlessness to fear. And and if I look and remember my my nieces and nephew, and they're still young, they're only six and seven um, for them, but I can remember them and recall them when they were younger and they're first starting to learn to walk and and they'd, they'd be crawling along and they'd step up and they'd walk a couple of steps and fall uh, and, and what they'd they weren't, they weren't concerned that they were failing. They weren't concerned that they were falling. Uh, they didn't care a damn what we thought around them. They just dusted themselves off, got up again uh, and carried on and, and took another few steps. And bit by bit and practice by practice, they got to the point where they were able to walk. Um, and that was the same for us all as human beings. Um, but I wonder what happens for us, David, between that 
radiance and that fearlessness that we have as young children and what happens to us by the time we get to your age and you speak about that that pressure and about and about people experiencing and feeling feeling probably unhealthy levels of pressure um, and I and I often ask students students David when I was going around speaking uh, around emotional health to different schools all over the country in the world and what are their biggest fears and you know they'll talk at the surface level about exams and stuff like that you know but if you dig down further and you have those deeper conversations with them um, what starts to emerge is actually that it's not the exams that students most fear but it's the response of the significant adults whether that's parents or teachers it's the response of those um, that they most fear as opposed to the test results and the sadness with that is that it robs students and young people of the inherent joy that's in learning because tests are just tests are only tests are only a sign of the levels of knowledge that you've attained uh, about a subject but like it's no indicator of your intelligence or of your worth and value as a human being and and likewise whether you play into county hurling or you don't again it's no indicator of your worth and value as a human being and um, but learning similar to sport you know they're wonderful wonderful human pursuits uh, and being a part of them uh, they're really interesting and important things for us as human beings and so it's a good question to ask David for yourself and for your friends and for your for your lads in school um, when pressure comes where is that pressure coming from and is it inherent in what we're doing or is it that we're our concern is more about how those around us are going to react. Um, so, yeah, it might be a good question. In, in relation to your own yeah, yeah, existence and you talk about pressure, how would, how, would, how would that or how would what I'm speaking about there relate to yourself? Uh, well, I suppose, yeah, with the hurling as well and the, the, um, the school as well with the exams and stuff, it would be uh, good because, like, they're, uh, with the exams, like, you're not really. You're not going to really give give out yourself, really. If you, if you, uh, say fail an exam, you wouldn't give out yourself if you wouldn't weren't given out to in the first place by say a parent or a teacher. You wouldn't really think much of it after, but then if you were given out to a parent or teacher, then you'd be like, oh, I should have studied, say, f- four hours every, like say during the week first. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, with the hurling as well, like it's, you'd say like say parents would be like, oh, um, if like if you make a carf minor panel or something, and like I was I was unlucky enough not to make a carf minor panel this year, but yeah. um, how was that for you? Uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, well, I kind of took it on the chin really. I'm doing a bit good bit of training now for it, so um, I hope to say make a Cork under twenty panel in two years when I'll be uh, on the age for it and say like yeah. um, I'd have a cousin there down in Liz Gould his name is John Cronin he'd, he'd have been on the Cork senior panel there a few years ago he's on the Immaculee he started with the Immaculee seniors and uh, so he would have gone through a lot of that like with a reject, reject from minor panels and senior panels so he would have Kind of, I kind of take a bit of uh, advice from him, really. 
great, great. And 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 I, I can recall John uh, being a part of an Emmy Killy squad that I would have coached uh, years ago, and and um, we had a really really good team underage that time, a really strong team, uh, and fortunately they 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 achieved a lot in terms of that team up through the years, and um, and John was just slightly was just slightly off making those teams regularly. But yeah, what I, was, can, wo- I can remember there he, when he was with CIT. I can remember uh, we were down at our answers and the, uh, our uncle was saying that they had to try to fatten him up. He was a bit skinny and stuff. Yeah, so I, I think I think his story is a wonderful story of perseverance and of 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 following your dream and fearlessly following your dream. And embracing failure, because he would have encountered that regularly. But despite all of it, he kept true to to his development. He kept true to practice, kept true to training. And because of that, he went all the way, uh, all the way up to playing uh, senior under county hurling. So I think his story is a uh, is a very inspiring story, um, and one of great uh, one of great uh, encountering great failures, but staying the course. And uh, yeah, it should be a great inspiration for you in your life. Yeah, he would be. Great, great. See, the heroes the heroes are all around us, David. You don't need to look to Hollywood or you don't need to look to the TV screens or you don't need to you don't need to look to other sports. Uh, the heroes you need in your life are are all around you. And the most important hero that you need to have in your life is yourself. Um, but it's great to, to have others around to support you on that journey. So yeah, it's great and, and lucky for you to have somebody like uh, like John in your life. Thanks. Uh, so you've done a lot of advocating for mental health. Um, how did you get into this? Yeah, Jacob, thanks for the question. Uh, I suppose I obviously I touched earlier on on experiencing um, as a young person, maybe a couple of years younger than, than yourselves now first, uh, experiencing um, what I didn't know back then what it was, but no, no, um, was panic attacks because because at least now there's a bit more discussion in, in, in the world around emotional health. But back then there was, there was zero, there was zero talk uh, around that aspect of our lives. Um, so, so I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. Um, but yeah, when I was your age, I can recall clearly starting to experience these, these panic attacks where, where I would feel like, like, like the breath was going from, from me and that the world was ending and that I was going to die at any second. And, um, you know, I really, I, I, I had really enjoyed school, um, and I really enjoyed being with my friends, and, and I loved learning and all of that. Um, but then this sort of darkness started to come into my life, which again I didn't know at the time what it was, um, but now I know very clearly that it was uh, experiencing severe depression for me, um, and and it would have progressed along to the point of where I had to leave school at the start of leaving set, um. Because I can remember I'd, w- I'd wake with a panic attack in the middle of the night, um, and it's just a terrifying experience. And and at that stage as well, I was terrified because I wasn't living my own life, and um, because of a lot of other things, having experienced severe bullying as a young person, um, and having a lot of other things that were going on for me, um, I was terrified of the world. And I can remember I'd wake at, at three or four o'clock in the morning, experiencing a panic attack, and then begin sobbing. And and I can still see the image of of the tears of my face joining the sweat of my skin, 
and, and they used to gather in what I would call a boy-made lake at my feet. And the last thing I used to do before leaving leaving my bedroom in the morning was to get towels to, to dry that and to um and to dry them up so that nobody would see what was going on for me because I was terrified of people finding out that these things were going on for me because they might have thought that I was that I was to use that phrase going mad or something. Um so anyhow, um look, my story is, is well told and I'm not going to go into into it in any more detail, but I was really fortunate and very, very lucky that through the support of my family, the support of my friends and the community and my teammates in Klein, and through working intensely with a, with a clinical psychologist that I was able to not alone get back to health, but actually begin to flourish and thrive in my life in ways that I previously thought unimaginable. Um, and so what I was finding was that people were, were, that were struggling with their own issues were kind of coming to myself and saying, look, I'm, I'm having difficulty here. Um, and could you recommend that I could go to someone I could go to see or a book or something like that? Or very often, Jacob, all they wanted was just to be able to share their story. My Angelo, the American poet, says, there's no greater agony than the bearing of an untold story within you. And for some people, all they need is somebody just to, to sit and to, and to listen to their story. And, and the nanogram of the word listen is silent. Um, and so it's a, it's a wonderful gift you can give as a friend to somebody else where you sit and be silent and, and listen without, without wanting to respond where you listen with, with, with an intention to try to understand more than try to respond uh, to what they are saying. And it's, 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 it's one of the best gifts uh, as a friend that you can give to somebody in your life uh, to sit and just be with them and be silent and let them, let them give that visibility to whatever it is that they're saying. But what really <laughs> got to me one day was that this old woman uh, in Klein, I'd known her all my life, and she'd been, she'd been on the planet a long time, but she came across the road to me and she looked around to make sure that nobody was listening and was saying, you know, I'm struggling at the moment. And and because I had spoke, they would have known my story in Klein and I was comfortable about it. Um, and when you, are, when you do give visibility to your own issues and your own challenges, then people feel comfortable with speaking to you then about what went on for them. And, and she was just terrified. She was more terrified and more stressed about other people hearing that she was in difficulty, I think, than the difficulty she was experiencing. And, and so I, 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 felt, I felt as somebody that had went through serious and life-threatening issues when it came to my emotional health, I felt the responsibility to other people to give more visibility in the country to, to this aspect of the human experience and to give a new voice to this aspect of the human experience and to help to tr sorry, to try to begin a new and a fresh and a vibrant conversation around this very common aspect of the human experience. Um, and so I sat down on a bank holiday Monday and put my thoughts together and I put it up as a blog. And, and as I said, the rest is history was on primetime TV the following night with Mary O'Callaghan uh, and has been really, really fortunate um, over the last few years to travel the world 
speaking in all types of different areas and speaking with all types of different people uh, around this whole area. And it's been a wonderful experience for me uh, and a wonderful privilege for me. But what we now need, Jacob, is we need a new generation of warriors of delight, people of, of your age taking up the baton and continuing on and developing and growing and maturing that conversation so that we can Marie Curie, the Polish physicist, she once said, there's nothing in life to be feared, only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. And by having conversations like we're having here, by you going back to your school and back to your families and normalizing the conversation the same way as we're chatting here and that it's a very normal conversation, by doing that, by sharing our own stories, we help to deepen that understanding around our complex inner worlds. And by doing that, we help to remove the fear and stigma. Um, and it's a massive challenge, but it's a challenge that we need to, we need to take up and we need to continue on. And, and it's going to need you, Jacob, and David and the rest of the guys on the call here to, to take up that mantle and take up that challenge and see what is it that I can do in my environment to, to continue on and grow that conversation. Uh, Connor. Uh, the pandemic has, has been so hard on everyone. Uh, we are in TY and we're still at home doing online learning and missing the crack in school. Would you have any advice on how to maintain our mental health during this tough time? So can I, can I ask the question, throw the question back to yourselves um, so that it's not just me speaking because uh, yes. I, 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 I learn very often when I'm, when I'm not talking and I'm listening to others. I, I learn an awful lot more uh, from other people um, so for yourselves, the people that are on the call here, if you were to talk about briefly about what 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 your own experiences were during the during the pandemic. Um, well, for me anyway, I'm just kind of keeping busy doing a bit of training and just going over to my grandmother and stuff, just to keep busy and just try to kind of keep my mind off a bit, like kind of trying to save myself as like summer holidays. And that's just, just kind of like, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the world. It's kind of, that's yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah, I could say for myself, like, I'd be big into sport. And, like, you know, you'd really, you'd miss that. Not only, say, getting to release any stress on the pitch and the training, but also just, you know, the, you know, the sense of a team, like, and, you know, having your friends around you, you know, you would really miss that. But I suppose you have to kind of, try make up for that way by doing say your own training and try do that kind of way and it's also like you know keep in touch with friends as much as possible even though that's kind of hard at the minute you know but I suppose we're lucky to have everything online that we do great great thanks Seamus yeah I'd be same as Seamus like you know definitely miss the buzz going out with the lads like training and like playing matches and winning games like like even if I was to go out and play another match and even to lose the game, like I actually wouldn't mind just once I back out into Harlem and playing. Like, like I know it doesn't sound great, but like I actually would take that. And you know, like at the start, it wasn't really missing school because like missing school was yay. Like, but now like a year on, or like not like seeing the lads for most part is just it's kind of tough. But you know, have to kind of get over that some as well. Yeah, for me. Um... The kind of real just pandemic feel kicked in kind of when they announced this lockdown for me. Like the anger of not being able to go to school.
get your education. Um, is everything shutting down again? Sports, all that. But it's, I guess like getting out and about, playing your bit of sport, doing stuff that you love, would help. Yeah, I think we kind of like we started this podcast. You know, during the pandemic, kind of something we could do because you know we couldn't really be going many places in TY or you know there wasn't too much to be doing. So we started the podcast and like at first it was kind of you know to talk about our own interests, like say whatever we want to talk about. But we I think we kind of realised now more recently that it kind of is a good platform in an all boys schools talk about so like you know issues that kind of would get swept under the rug maybe a bit in. You know, in all boys schools, such as you know, d- d- depression, anxiety, all that, and like the LGBTQ community. So, like, can I just like to ask you about you know your own experience coming out, and for any lads in our school or anyone listening to the podcast who might be struggling to come out or maybe confused about their sexuality, what would you say to those people to try help them? So, firstly, thanks for your honesty uh, earlier in, in talking about your own experiences because uh, I think there's there can be a there can be a shared sense of loss that everybody's experiencing with this pandemic but there isn't too many safe spaces where people can can give visibility to what might be going on for them in relation to, to the experience with it. And, and and i think one of the common things was was and i think it was yourself Seamus that used it about keeping in touch um because as human beings we're 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 herd we're a herd animal in the sense of we it's important for us to be in the in the apart and belong to something outside of ourselves and so keeping in touch is, is a really good phrase because it's important to keep in touch with ourselves first and foremost and tuned into what's going on for ourselves and then to be able to reach out and connect to others so I think they are very important things in terms of the question was asked of of of, of maintaining or nurturing our own emotional health during this time and keeping in touch with ourselves and, and, and keeping in touch with others. So I, I'm always amazed at the wisdom that exists within young people. And, and I think the more platform, and you probably have wisdom beyond what you maybe realize. And I think it'd be wise of us as adults and as teachers to create the spaces for you to be able to speak more like you just have, because because I think Seamus using that word, keep in touch is, is just so wise uh, and really wise and um, keeping in touch with, with others and with yourself. and. And and I think it's a case now more than ever, um, also that in a world of where disruptions and change will happen at a frequency that was never that's never been witnessed, I would say, before in the history of the human race, that investing in your emotional health, getting to know yourself and getting the ability to deal with change, I would predict. And maybe in 20 or 30 years' time, I'll meet you somewhere down the road and you'll say, Chris Cusick, you were spot on there. Or you might say, no, you were 100% wrong. So it'll either be one of the two. It won't be anything <laughs> in between. But I would think that, that all of those things, investing in emotional health, getting to know yourself and the ability to deal with change, I would predict that they'll be the most important skills that you'll need to be able to continue to thrive and flourish in the world. And it'll be the wise individual. It'll be the wise parent. It'll be the wise teacher in school, the wise workplace, the wise GA club and government that will focus on that area, that will focus on the nurturing and development of our own and each other's emotional health and growth. When it comes to the question you asked, uh, Seamus, about about coming out, um, I was asked by, I was asked by, 
Niall McDonough, who was a cousin of Niall Donoghue. So you mightn't recall Niall Donoghue, but he was a Galway hurler. He played in the All-Ireland Final in 2012. And sadly, in October of 2013, uh, Niall ended his precious life through suicide. And a few months after, Niall McDonough, who had given a powerful oration at Niall's, um, at Niall's funeral, um, touched base with me and asked would I come to Galway just to speak with Niall's dad and family. Um, and so I travelled up one Sunday morning. Um, and, and to be honest, Niall's dad had questions like so many parents that have lost a loved one to suicide and questions that I was, wasn't able to answer and questions that he would never get the answers to. Um, but it was a, it was a, it was a comforting day, both for them and for myself. And and Niall McDonough, his cousin, and myself went out to Niall's burial place. And and Kilbecanty is this really quiet, tranquil place. And and it was just, it was just a, a powerful reminder for myself, um, of how final suicide is. Um, kneeling and and praying at Niall's grave. Um, where only a few months before he'd been playing in, in an All-Ireland hurling final and, and here he was lying lying dead in the grave. Um, and I can recall driving the long journey home back from Galway that evening and and just thinking about the work that I was involved with in the relation of emotional health and what I'd started to get involved with and and how, and, and seeing Niall's grave and thinking of him inside there and he lifeless um, it was just a strong reminder to me of how important the the whole area of emotional health and speaking and creating awareness, how important that was. And I just felt that if I was to be fully authentic with with the people that I was engaging with, um, then I needed to be fully authentic about all aspects of my life. Um, and so I decided on that journey home after 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 being in Galway. Um, I decided on that journey home that I needed to speak about this aspect of my life. Um, with firstly my parents, and uh, and I can remember get, driving home and uh, and getting into and calling into. I was living just a short distance down from them, so I walked up into the house and uh, and as much and all, Seamus, as 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 I'd done a serious amount of inner work and therapy. Um, it was still daunting, and it's why I have so much, so much. It's it's why I have so much admiration for those people who are who are true to themselves when it comes to their sexuality, um, because it takes such courage to be honest. And 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 I've played hurling all my life, and I've played all over the country and played against the played in the full forward line and played against where lads playing the full back line. They're not the nicest of species. They're rough enough all animals to be fair, kind of and fullbacks by the very nature um, but but people people that are that are able to be true to themselves when it comes to their sexuality or people that are able to take the first step in coming forward and saying that I'm struggling with some aspect of my emotional health whether that be anxiety or stress or depression or whatever goes with whatever whatever that that may take um, the courage shown by those people taking that first step reaching out for support or by somebody being true when it comes to their sexuality. It's far more courageous than anything I've witnessed on a GA field anyhow, I can tell you, and people that are able to do that. And and I was sitting down and I couldn't get the bottom in the room at the same time. And and I can remember I had the same feeling of nervousness inside me that I would have had 
before playing county finals or, or before being a part of that Cork team and playing in the Munster final or an All-Ireland final. Um, it was that same sense of, of nervousness. But, but, and I knew that it was going to be, it was going to be hurtful for my parents to speak about this. But it was important for me and primarily for myself, but also in relation to the emotional health work that I was engaged with, that it was important for me to be true to myself. And, and, uh, and I remember uh, speaking to it and, 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 and explaining it to them. And to be honest, it was difficult for them. And, and we didn't leave on the best of terms. Um, <laughs> we didn't leave on the best of terms. And I remember going down home, but thankfully I was in, I was in that stage of my life where, where, you know, I wasn't dependent on my parents for my sense of self or for, or for that sense of what that I've spoken about plenty already. Um, and I remember going down home uh, and, and feeling a sense of relief that I had spoken about it to them for the first time uh, and just ringing the rest of my family to speak to them on it. Um, but I can recall getting my getting my gear and stuff ready for for work and for training the following day below in my own house and um, and uh, as I was getting ready to go to bed that night my dad ringing me and 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 I remember looking at the phone and my dad knows and the great guy in the phone and uh, he doesn't ring too often and I was thinking am I being am I being cast out of the family here or being cast out of the wheel or what's going on um, but he said. Connor, uh, this is your dad here. He said, and I just want to let you know that your mum and I, we love you, uh, and good night. And uh, and he hang up the phone, and I just saying good night there. And, and that was um, that was that was that was good. That was good uh, that that happened, yeah. So would you would you say it put you at peace with your decision to come out? Could you say that again, David? Uh, would you say put peace to like your decision to come out to your parents at that stage? Yeah, I, 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 I can't say that there was anything that was weighing very, very heavily on my shoulders because I suppose I had done so much, you know, I, I, I had done so much, um, I had done so much, uh, I had done so much work, um, in terms of working in my inner self and my own worth and, and all of that stuff that I needed to do to regain my wellness back in my twenties, um, um, that, uh, that yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't maybe. If it was something that I'd done in my early twenties, maybe far more, but by that stage in my life, um, it, it was definitely a relief, um, and definitely was something good that I'd done in my life, um, definitely, yeah. And then just in terms as well, for um, you know, in being in an all boys school, like it probably, it it would be very hard really to come out in an all boys school. I think it's probably maybe a little less accepting, to be honest, than. A lot of places like it, it is a tough environment i think for anyone who might be wanting to come out or thinking about coming out what what would you say to them like to you know maybe help them with that decision yeah i think i think that 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 it would be important um um so firstly seamus i think it's a good point you make that in a boy boy school that it, that it may be more difficult because if you were to look to the if we were to use the gas and equivalent if you were to look at the intercounty game, um, in terms of 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 camogie or 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 um or ladies football, there's far more. There seems to be far more acceptance and far more players that have been public about their sexuality um in the ladies football and and camogie. Uh, when it comes to the to the GA and it comes to intercounty hurling, 
Um, there's only been, you know, in terms of an active player, there's only been one, and that's Donald Oak. I was finished into county hurling. Was still playing with my club. Um, was still playing with my club when I when I spoke uh, when I spoke about my own my own sexuality. Um, so it seems to be that that it's something that's far more uh, acceptable when it comes to to females. Um, and and maybe that it's not that it's far more acceptable. That's probably the wrong word. But that maybe it's more psychologically safe um, for people uh, for females than it is for males. Um, and that's something that's that's an interesting challenge, I think, for everybody in terms of schools and in terms of the GA about how do we create the psychological safety so that people can can be who they really are and be themselves. Um, and that's the first thing I would say that's a challenge for schools and for individuals like yourself and for the rest of the people in this call. And um, what can we do in our school to create the psychological safety? And support so that people can be who they really are, and and I'd expand that even Seamus beyond the LGBT community if you wanted to use that phrase because every human being, you, David, and uh, Jacob and and uh, Quentin and every, and everybody else on this call, um, everybody carries their own emotional baggage and everybody carries their own insecurities, um. But one of the deepest longings of human beings and my experience of traveling the world and having really deep conversations with people is one of the deepest longings of human beings is to, is to be who they really are and not the mask or persona that they create to please other people. Um, so along with the LGBT community, but also for the rest of the students, for you and for the rest of your, your friends and people on this call and the people inside in St. Coleman's, how can... How can you, ye, as a student body and as a staff in terms of the teachers, how can you create the psychological safety for you all to be able to give visibility to what's going on for you and to be who you really are? And, and it's a wonderful challenge for you in the school. And I think it might be your greatest legacy, Seamus, not maybe what you achieve on the sporting field, um, you, David, and the rest of the people on this call, maybe not what you achieve in the sporting field or on your exams, but actually, when you leave and move on from St. Coleman's, that you've created a more psychologically safe school community for the next generation of students that will be coming after you. You mentioned about being true to yourself and your family, but do you think being involved in sport delayed your decision of coming out? And do you think others may find it harder to come out because they play sport and being in that dressing room environment? <laughs> it's a really super question, Quentin. And, and, and it amazes me. I've, I've been interviewed by an awful lot of professional people and I've always been surprised that, that I was never asked that question. And I go back to the, to the wisdom that exists in our younger people. I'm, I'm never surprised by the wisdom that exists there. So it's a really great question. Um, and to answer this honestly as I can, without going into too many intimate details, um, I suppose I would have spent a lot of my 20s you know, doing a lot of, of that inner work and part of that was exploring my sexuality where I would have had an attraction to both males and females. Um, so it took me a while to explore in terms of, you know, your sexuality, I think, exists on a spectrum. Um, and I needed to understand where where I was uh, existing on that spectrum. And, and I'm not so sure that I delayed it because of playing sport. Um, but I will say that it saddens me greatly 
when I speak with other people that either never participated in sport or stopped playing it because they felt that they couldn't be themselves in the sporting arena that they found themselves in. And, and I think that's just such a, a massive tragedy, Quentin, because when I look back now on my playing days, and of course there are huge disappointments with, with losing county finals and, and an All-Ireland final and, and injuries and all the rest, but, but the memories and the experiences and the richness of being a part of the GA, you know, it far outweighs any of those other, those other experiences that I spoke about. And it would have been such a tragedy for me to have missed out on, on the inner richness that you get from playing sport. Um, do you understand what I mean? When, do you know when I'm talking about that? That in that that those like what you spoke about earlier. I think none of you spoke about anything in relation to achievements in terms of what you were missing most in the lockdown. You spoke about missing that connection with your friends, about being out training, about being out playing, and having all of those shared experiences. And um, you all spoke to them in terms of in terms of the lockdown and the impact that it's had in relation to that. And and so for me, um, I think that's what. That's one of the one of the one of the saddest things for me is when I meet uh, when I meet people either lads or girls that have either not participated or or stepped away from sport because they felt that it wasn't for them. Um, and also, Quentin, you know the skills that you develop from from playing sport. You know the discipline, the working in a team, the dealing with expectations and failure. You know I see inside my workplace every day that people that come from team sports, they very often are those people that are more successful in the workplace nowadays because it demands all of those types of skills. And so sport outside of the, the what you'd expect it to give you in terms of fitness and skill development and all of that, in terms of playing it, the actual other skills, those ones I just spoke about, are so important in other areas of your life. And, and it's a real tragedy for, for people in the LGBT community, if I'm to use that phrase that I don't necessarily like too much, but anyhow, it's the best I can do for now. Um, it's a real shame that they don't, uh, that they miss out on that opportunity. So it's a, it's a massive challenge again for the GA. And they've just appointed a diversity officer, John McTavish. She spoke on an event with Corsi Rovers that I was speaking at the other night, a mental health or an emotional health webinar. Um, and so it's something that the GA very much know is, uh, is something that they need to to work on creating the environment and the culture so that people can be free to be who they are. And it's not that, that you have to be speaking openly uh, and publicly like I have um, about my own uh, experiences with my emotional health and my sexuality. But I do think, Quentin, that visibility is important for, for people, um, that when they see others um, being comfortable and being able to be who they are, I think it can give them Number one, hope uh, that that they can at some point be themselves um, and give them that encouragement to take those gentle steps towards coming, not so much coming out, but actually coming home to who they really are. Uh, so uh, we have had the Irish Cancer Society on uh, last week and they gave us a great insight on what they do and how to get help if people need. Um, is there any mental health or emotional health charities that you could recommend that might benefit a young student in Coleman's or any other secondary school if they are feeling down and they felt like they needed someone to talk to? Yes, so so I think, again, Jacob, 
um, you know, you're asking really great questions. Um, not, not everybody, not everybody, you know, that's feeling down or low may need that professional support. And so, again, it might be that's, that the student body and that your legacy inside in Coleman's is that, that you say, you know what, what's important for us is to develop as, as, as students and as friends and as classmates, that it's important for us to develop some good listening skills um, so that we can create that, uh, so that if somebody is in difficulty, um, that they feel the safety to be able to, to speak to maybe myself about something that's going on for them. Um, because very often that would be maybe the first protocol for somebody that's feeling down, that it's somebody that's close to them that they can relate to, whether that's a friend or a teacher. Um, and so I think it'd be, it'd be an interesting, potentially, if I put that challenge to you to say, yeah, is that something that we could develop in Coleman's that we could improve that, that along with developing our knowledge and our skills around maths and, and science and geography and all those wonderful subjects that we also um, demand that we develop some skills around listening skills for each other so that if somebody does need to reach out um, that yeah, we can be that listening ear for them. And then the next step after that is about creating that psychological safety and culture within a school. It amazes me, Jacob, when I go around to speak at schools, I can tell by how the receptionist is I can nearly tell what the culture of the leadership within the school is like. If the receptionist is stressed and is cold and not welcoming, you can be very certain. I see you smiling. So not to show what it's like in Collins now, right? But I haven't spoken there. But, but you can be nearly certain that the principal and the leadership in the school, um, that the receptionist reflects their attitude. Or if you walk in and the receptionist is bright and warm and welcoming and enthusiastic, you can be very, very certain that that reflects the culture and the leadership of the of the of the school leadership within that environment. Um, so the next step is about how, as St. Coleman's as a school, can we can we create that psychological safety that we spoke about earlier, so that the likes of yourselves and this very open conversation that we're having here, where you're speaking about very normal day-to-day -day experiences of of what goes on for your students, that we can create those spaces inside in St. Cormans where we can have those real conversations because I know that young people are trying out and mad to be able to, to be able to talk about real stuff and not the false things that you see day to day on social media. Um, so yeah, how can St. Cormans create that psychological safety to support people and students to be themselves, to be who they really are? Um, and then in terms of those students that might need that more professional support um, it would be important for schools to create those partnerships with those local services, whether that's professional psychology services or whatever that might be. Um, it would be important for the school to have those in place so that they can signpost students to those places where they would need for those for some of those students that would need that more professional support. Um, you know, organisations like Jigsaw and others do amazing work around that. I don't know if you've heard of an organisation called SOAR. Um, have you heard of it, Jacob? Or any of the rest of the people on the call? Not off the top of my head, anyway. So mm -hmm. SOAR is an organisation that was founded by Tony Griffin, the, the former Clare Hurler. And um, it began with Jim Steins, who played, who played uh, football in Ireland and went over to play in Australian Rules. Um, and he set up an organisation in Australia 
Um, but not, lo- not long before he died, Tony paid him a visit and was inspired to set up an organization called SOAR. And SOAR deliver workshops in schools, and I've attended a few of them. Um, and it's been absolutely phenomenal to witness and experience the conversations that have that are had within schools um, on the back of SOAR coming in and deliver those workshops, where, where there's an amazing, for a brief period, um, there's an amazing um, environment created where, where people feel immense safety to be able to have really deep and meaningful conversations. And sometimes that can be just the, the seed that needs to be planted in a school environment where it can be the catalyst for something more sustainable and longer lasting created. Um, so yeah, if, if you were to ask about an organization, I would say, yeah, you should look into the SOAR Foundation and the phenomenal work that they do and see is this something that you could get them to deliver a workshop in your school. Uh, so we are very proud that Ireland was the first country in the world to legalize same-sex marriage uh, via a democratic uh, referendum in 2015. Do you think if other countries followed suit, um, would there be a more accepting world? Yes. Yeah, so that that the same same-sex marriage referendum. Do you meet, Do you remember much about it, or 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 what, what were your memories of it, or? Uh, no, just basically that, like, um, you know, men can marry men, women can marry women. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, look at the general simple, basis of it. It's a, it's a simple as it's a simple and basic at that. But it was it was a really interesting time, and I suppose I would have been involved in that in a national way in terms of some of the events that I would have taken part in, and. Um, and I'm not, and I can, and I can report that I haven't got married since. In the meantime, and and and, um, but I do think that that it was an important, it was in a very, it was a very important uh, step in the country in terms of giving a strong symbol to to the people of Ireland and the individuals in Ireland, but also sending a message out to the world um, of how Ireland was evolving and moving on as a country, and 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 valuing. The differences that existed amongst the people inside this country and the marriage referendum for me was all about love and um, it was all about two people being able to I think in this country and you don't you don't have to get married to uh, you don't have to get married to, to be able to to show or express your love for somebody else but within Ireland uh, the strongest symbol of of a, of a union between two people uh, publicly is being able to get married and and it was important that that whether it was getting married to to somebody of the opposite gender or getting married to somebody of the same gender that opportunity was there because whether the country liked it or not and the fact that people couldn't get married um before the referendum it definitely sent out a a signal to to people that somehow their their love was of a less valuing of a lesser nature than, than maybe the, the traditional uh, man-woman uh, love. And uh, so it was a really exciting and uh, interesting uh, thing to be a part of, um, but just uh, a stepping stone really on the continuous journey to, to creating that, uh, that, that environment for, for people to be, to be themselves. Because Jacob, you would have seen, I suppose, with, the, with what had gone on in America over the last few years and in other countries where, where it was very safe, and um, for people to be themselves when it came to their sexuality, 
you could see where where in some other countries there's a challenge being put down to that and where that has changed uh, and countries have changed and and the environment has changed and um, so it's it's important that the people realize that that it's a continuous um, it needs continuous advocacy and efforts to to keep that that flame of of hope and and equality bonding and um, when it comes to LGBT uh, in the country. Uh, I think we're nearly out of time now for today, Connor. But just before we leave you go, um, every podcast we play a song for the outro that's you know either kind of fit into the person or maybe one of their favorite songs. So. What would you say would give you a fitting outro? Maybe one of your favourite songs. Oh, jeez, you have to put me on the you have to put me on the spot. You know, Seamus, big time. I can, I, I can, I can. Jeez, big time. No, you have to put me on the spot. And as you can see from the conversation, I'm seldom speechless. Um, <laughs> seldom speechless. Um, um, there's, there's, there's a song at the moment. Can you? Can you? I'm just going to grab my phone because um, uh, you might have to edit this now on your uh, on your podcast. But there's a song at the moment that I'm really loving from Paloma Faith, um, and I want to see what it is. Yeah, so it's 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 called uh, it's called Make Your Own Kind of Music. Um, I think it was written or sang by somebody else um, before Paloma Faith, but she has the latest version. And and I think what the song represents, Seamus, is that uh, it's that that as a human being, it's important for you to to walk your own path, to live your life to the rhythm and beat of what goes on inside in your own heart, um, and and to everything that we spoke about earlier, that that we that 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 it's it's one of the deepest longings of human beings to be your own real self uh, and person so so yeah make your own kind of music and and what i'd say to everybody in the call is uh thank you so much for inviting me on to speak i've listened to some of the other podcasts and they were great none of them will be as good as this one i can guarantee you um i, I say it with absolute modesty um but um fair play to you for 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 asking the questions that you asked in in the interview um and and I would put the challenge back to yourselves to say, you know, what is it that you guys can do inside in your school to, to create that psychological safety for all of yourselves to support each other on your journey through this beautiful but, but challenging life? Um, yeah, what are the things that you can do? And what's the... There's been... There's been I played hurling against Coleman's when I was... Uh, when I was younger, and and there's been the world of lads that have uh, that have played hurling in Coleman's uh, and left great hurling legacies there, but there mightn't have been too many of them that left legacies when it came to to emotional health and 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 conversations that we've had around LGBT and all the rest of it. Um, so maybe maybe you could be could be that unique band of brothers that that your legacy. Is, uh, is creating and supporting that new and fresh school community and environment where where you create that uh, that safety and those spaces for conversations like we've had here to become more the norm than than the seldom um, 
and that, yeah, in 20, 30, 40 years' time, you might look back in your time in secondary school and say, yeah, do you know what? We had great holding careers in Coleman's and we had great holding careers after it. Um, but actually, the greatest legacy we left was that, that we left the school in a psychologically more safe place than when we started. So, yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing what's going to happen down there. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Connor. It's been absolutely great to have you on.